Welcome in to Hollywood versus Holiness. I'm David O'Gray. And I'm Janique Stewart. And on Hollywood versus Holiness, this is where we talk about things that we like coming out of Hollywood, film, commercials, uh, music, versus what we did not like in the worldview being promoted. And we're looking at these things through the Christian lens. And we always like to start the show with things that we liked. So what do you like this week, Janine? My like this week is a really great movie. And it's a really, really, really great family movie that even deals with a faith issue. And it's called My Brother's Keeper. Now, this movie actually came out in 2020, but it is such a great feel-good movie. Now, it actually, the whole story, My Brother's Keeper, is about a young man who was away fighting for our country. So he he is now a PTSD veteran. Hmm. So they're dealing with issues, dealing with PTSD, which is, is very apropos for our, our country right now. But he's also dealing with his struggle with his faith, a whole struggle with his faith journey where he literally has come to Jesus moment. If you won't let me help you, Travis. Just stay away from me, all right? Please, let God help you. Just stay away from me. I don't need your help, and I definitely don't need his. It's not about me, but it's all about him. You've lost your way, Travis. The worst part about that is that you've lost your faith in God. Do you ever think maybe a guy lost his faith in me? Not only is, is he struggling with the PTSD, but there's a whole myriad of, of family issues that are going on. But we see a real life struggle that's very realistic. And so it stars, his name is T.C. Stallings, and he is a former athlete, also turned actor. Okay. It also has Joey Lawrence, which a lot of people are probably familiar with. And he has, like, he's probably one of my favorite characters in the whole movie. It also has a young lady, Keisha Knight Pulliam, who was from oh. The Cosby Show. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just really great. So I really encourage people to check it out. I believe it's on Amazon Prime. But again, it's called My Brother's Keeper from 2020. And I really think people will like it because it's very realistic, but it shows that battle with your faith and in a very real way, but I believe that you'll see uh, what actually happens. I don't want to give anything away. I don't want any spoiler alerts, but it is really a brilliant film. Yeah. How did you find it? I was just looking through Amazon Prime, looking for, you know, movies to watch. And I came across it and I saw Joey Lawrence's name and I thought, okay. wait a minute. I know that Joey Lawrence is a, is a believer. And so I thought, well, if he's in it, I've got to check this out. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, I have to watch this. So I watched it and was like, wow, this is really very well done. Yeah. And it's very realistic, which is what I like. I mean, a lot of times I think faith movies can all can make people think that you have to have everything together and that you can't struggle right. with your faith. Right. 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 And this to me shows the reality of whether it's mental illness or PTSD, which is very real and the challenge that there are a lot, an awful lot of veterans right now who are on the streets yeah. and who struggle with mental illness, who struggle with life. And then you also see struggles at home with family. And so all these different things come to a head and you see this gentleman who literally is basically uh, suicidal. And you see ultimately what happens. So it's a very real, like mm -hmm. I said, it's a very real project. 
and a very real movie that I think is very moving and inspiring. But we also see what happens when people are bold in their faith and are not afraid to share the truth about Jesus Christ. I'm yeah, take so. a look at that. Because I always yes, like to Keisha Knight Pulliam, you know, from Cosby Show, you know, always mm -hmm. liked her. So, yeah, I'm going to check that out. Yes. And then Joey Lawrence, of course, was from Blossom. Yep. I think now. it's really good. I, I loved it. So we'll have to see what you think. But enough about me. What was your like? So uh, my daughter, Deja, my second oldest daughter, she had been telling me, they, they, Dad, you got to watch It Take One class. You got to watch It Take One class. What she is had it? been telling It Take One. It's, it's, a, it's a city in around, it's a district in Seoul, South Korea. So it's It Take One in class. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but it's called It Take One class, right? And so she had been telling me um, for months, Janique, oh, you got to watch this, you know, because you're going to like the, the the main character, the main protagonist. You're, you're just like them. And so, and, you know, sure enough, you know, so, so, so what this, so this is a Korean drama. It's on Netflix. It has, I think, 16 episodes. And Janique, everything is in there. I'm talking about action. I'm talking about chase romance. I'm talking about business intrigue. I'm talking about revenge plots, crying, joy. Comp character development that is complex and rich um, so that you grow up the characters as the series goes along and you get and your emotions get attached to the characters they, they just do character development really well and at the end at the end at the end of the 16th episode everything is tied up there's a bow you don't have any questions about what happens to this person or anything like that um they leave a little bit room for development but typically korean dramas don't have a second season they just they just put it all out there in 16 20 episodes they get it all out so beautiful story so yeah the main protagonist i think my daughter deja was right we have a lot in common so there was that there so that, that after i learned a little bit about his backstory in the first episode okay this is my guy but who I fell in love with was, um, so his name is Park Sui, but who I fell in love with was Kim Dami, who is in love with Park Sui. But he he's completely oblivious. We're not like that. I think I kind of know when a girl likes me, but he's 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 stupid. <laughs> he he doesn't know at all, right? So this goes on for episodes, but he finally, you know, finally. Um, but he she loves him and she's so crazy and she's fun. And so I really like that. Couple things in there that mm, kind of one is kind of funky, one is interesting. So there is a girl character who works for Park Story in his restaurant. She's a cook. And this is weird for South Korean Korean dramas, but clearly this is a woman. I've seen her in other Korean dramas. I like her. But in this one, she's supposed to be a boy who does the transgender thing. Oh, my God. South Korea is a very conservative. I don't know what they are pushing here. Um, maybe it's some of Hollywood coming into South Korea. But so she, this story comes out. Everyone has a problem with it. They want to fire her out of a restaurant. She's in this food competition. They want to kick her off the show. So... Um, so th there's, there's that maybe they're trying to push that agenda in the country in, um, South Korea now. So that's interesting to look at, um, what's going on Korean dramas and see if that's going to continue to develop. I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it doesn't, um, Tony, who's, uh, he's a black character on the show. This is another thing that look interesting to look at. He's so he, he, he's completely Korean. His dad is Korean, but his mom is African doesn't look Korean. So. 
the assumption is that he's American and he speaks English. He doesn't. So that's the funny thing in the show. Um, and then he tries to get into a Korean club and they won't let him in because they don't let Africans in. So there's some cultural things uh-huh. going on in this show that was interesting. Uh-huh. But aside from that, everything is in there. It won't disappoint. And so, yes, it's a one class on Netflix. Of course. I'm not surprised because I know that you love Korean dramas. <laughs> yes. One thing everyone will learn from Hollywood versus holiness is that David loves Korean dramas. So uh, yes. I guess I, I'll have to check it out. And you'll have to check out My Brother's Keeper. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to change some notes, see what we thought. So, and we did want to talk to you guys. We have planned to do a review on the Handmaid's Tale series on Hulu, which is a very popular show. We plan to do a review for you anyway, but like clockwork, it turned out that in episode four, season four, they had an episode dealing with prolicide, you know, uh, particularly um, chemical abortion, chemical abortion to be sure. And so again, this was season four, episode four is called Milk. So we're going to talk about that, and Janika is going to do the heavy lifting on that episode and, and tell us what's going on there in episode, that episode. But let me give you some background. If you never watched Handmaid's Tale, let me give you the construct of what's going on here, what type of world this is. Okay, so Handmaid's Tale is what I was what's called a dystopian tragedy, right? And it's based upon a novel of that same name, and it was written by a Canadian author. Her name was Margaret Atwood. Okay. And so the show came to Hulu in 2017, and now it's in its fourth season. So the setting of the world that we're in, so this is America, it is the United States. Um, this is post the second civil war. So there was a civil war fought in this country. The winners of this war were these, I would say, extreme traditionalists, right? If you one word is what you can call them, <laughs> you can call them occults, right? But um, who what they tend to do is they give justification to everything that they want to believe, their praxis through their own unique inter- interpret- interpretation of the Bible. They're, when How they look at the Bible is not to discover truth as Christians ought and discover what, well, what God is revealing to us. Rather, when they look at the Bible, they want to justify, they want to use it as a weapon. They want to weaponize it to justify what they're doing. It, re- it will remind you of legal slavery in this country, in the United States, when people back then were, they were interpreting the Bible, they were weaponizing the Bible to interpret the sacred scriptures to justify slavery. Same thing that um, these people in this country called Gilead are doing. So so what happened that led to the Civil War? I think that's an important thing you, you want to talk about. Um, so, well, from the people in Gilead, their perspective is that, well, God God was punishing Americans for becoming godlessness, for their debauchery, for their sexual depravity. And what God brought was barren women. Um, the, the birth rate has plummeted. So not a lot of children being born. That was that was God punishing us. God also brought pollution. He brought sexual transmitted diseases. This is all punishment for what this country had become. So, so civil war takes place. Um, and like I said, the winners of this war was this this cult or these extreme traditionalists, and they created a new society based upon their interpretation of the Bible. This country has social classes; it's very militarized. Um, they have some traditional ideas about how society should be. In this society, <laughs> women are forced; they're forced to work and be 
live a life with very limited roles. The fertile women who they oftentimes they they enslave, they capture, um, they become sex slaves. We'll talk about that in a minute. But also women are cooks and some women are housewives. Everything is militarized in this country. All men serve the military in some capacity and all the commanders have wives, right? Oftentimes, these women cannot give birth. Oftentimes, they're sterile. Okay, so that's why they need a handmaid. And um, so the oh, in the handmaid, let's talk a little bit about that. So the whole concept of handmaid is based upon I think um, Bala in uh, Genesis, who she was the handmaid. She was given to um, well, it was Rachel. it was yes, exactly. And so she's given to Rachel as a handmaid to. Um, give birth to Jacob's son. So it's based upon that. And whenever this ritual takes place, this ritualized rape takes place of the handmaid with the commander, you know, these, these, the, the, these scriptures or this story in this narrative and this in Genesis comes up. Right. Um, so the protagonist in this story, let's talk about the protagonist for a minute. Um, and so the protagonist, the main protagonist in this story is a woman. Her real name is June Osborne. But she's introduced to us in episode one, season one, as off red. And all the handmaids on in the handmaids tale and Gilead, their first their the first two letters of her name is OF of. And then the rest of her name is whatever their commander's name is. A little bit about her. Don't want to get too much into her backstory, right? But um, so you know, she's introduced to us. She's she had committed adultery with a man named Luke. Um, Luke was married, um, and they were apparently in love. There was some conflict with her and Luke's wife at the time, but they had a child, her, June, and this man, Luke. And and so we see in, in one episode, I think first episode, we see her being captured, and her she, uh, her daughter, no, their, I'm sorry, their daughter, her and Luke's daughter is taken away. Um, we think Luke is dead. He, we hear a gunshot. That's what happens in episode one. And then we see... Alfred or June in this re-education camp. Okay. Um, there's capital fences in, in in Gilead. For example, oftentimes Catholic priests are killed because Catholic priests are tend to help. They want to help handmaids escape. So they're killed for that. Um, abortion is a capital fence. Being a homosexual man is a capital fence. If you rape a handmaid, illegally rape them. That's a capital offense, which is completely is is just it's so many points of irony in this show that I know Janika's gonna get to, but that's just a couple of them. So as and as as I said, so throughout this show, every episode, there's gonna be some sort of backstory. One of the characters, one of the handmaids, or one of June's um, other handmaids that she has relationships with, friendships with, and even some of the commanders and her wives, sometimes we see a backstory. They always want to show us what their life was like before the Civil War or while everything was starting to be um, uh, right before this 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 period came. So on episode four, season four, Milk, um, June's friend, Offred or Offjofa's friend, her friend um, Janine, we get to learn about her backstory in this episode. And Janine, is that where you want to pick up this Sure, sure. So what I'm going to actually kind of focus on is a little bit about the worldview that is 
behind and, and even when you deal with the the writers, Margaret Atwood and even their worldview when it even comes to the abortion issue. And even more specifically, look at what's even going on with the handmaids and how they treat women and, and more specifically how they treat the handmaids themselves. Uh, as a worldview, it seems like in Gilead, they have, and you did a great job, by the way, David, of like kind of bringing everyone up to speed. And they, in, in Gilead, I would say that they operate off of a utilitarianistic worldview where it's all about what is for the greater good. That That is really, they are fully okay with rape as long as it's for the greater good. So that mentality, that worldview is very problematic because it allows one to ignore a crime or something that is morally wrong, such as rape, they can justify it so long as it's for the greater good. And if it's going to repopulate Gilead and the planet, then it's good. But we have to actually ask questions about that. We have to actually think through that. Now, in contrast to Gilead, I would say outside of that, I believe that the authors to an extent or the creators want people to almost have a moral relativistic worldview. Like, for example, when we talk about the abortion issue, they would want you to say, well, who am I to judge? Mm -hmm. Who am I to judge? Or I haven't actually walked in her shoes. I don't know what it's like. And until you walk a mile in someone else's shoes, you don't really know what you would do. So mm -hmm. in Gilead, they want us to, to see a very utilitarian view, worldview. But in the real world, where everyone else is, they want you to kind of have a moral relativistic point of view. However, they have no problem in the other communities outside of Gilead they have no problems calling rape, rape. They have no problem saying that what is going on there is morally evil, which is why they're ultimately trying to intercede there. So they're able to see right from wrong, but they have a standard of morality that is outside of the Bible. And even talking about the, the worldview even of Gilead, I talked about that utilitarianism, but I wanna be very clear with the viewers even though they might be using the Bible to justify their evil and their wrongdoing. And even as you just said, like when they're raping women in that context to impregnate them, they're actually taking scripture out of context from Genesis chapter 30 verses one through three is actually what they're using. And in that context, it actually says, and she said, behold, my maid Bilhah go into her and she shall bear upon my knees that I may also have children by her. So that's Rachel talking to Jacob, telling him to have relations with Bilhah to impregnate her. Now, obviously they're taking those scriptures out of context so in an effort to justify their rape so that they can have children. But that is not a Christian stance. So please understand, just because they're using the Bible does not make them Christian. It is very clear they are a cult. So that is not Christianity. Um, the reason that I also want to point this out is because they're trying to say there was an article written or where Margaret Atwood is actually interviewed and she calls that radical Christianity. Well, I'm sorry, but there was nothing Christian at all that I see going on. And so just because they might use the Judeo-Christian book of the Bible, it doesn't mean that it's a Christian cult 
or Christianity or even radical extreme Christianity. There is nothing Christian about that. Um, so I just want to be very clear with that. Now, let's talk a little bit more about episode four and abortion. Um, before I do get into that, one other aspect is when you have a society that has a functional view of the human being, where human beings are in essence deconstructed to the point of how can I use you in your body? You're not valuable because of what you are. You're only valuable for how you perform. You're only valuable for what you can do. In Gilead, that is very clear that they definitely have a very functional view of the human person and specifically the handmaids. They're not valuing the handmaid. They're only valuing, if we're being honest and brutally honest here, they're only valuing her ovaries and her ability to carry that child to term. That's it. They don't really value her as a human person. It's not as if they're like treating the handmaids like they are an, an elitist class of individuals. It isn't. They are so disrespectful and dishonoring to the handmaids. There is so all kinds of mistreatment and abuse going on in addition to the rape. But if we were, were to really kind of break it down, really, very simply put, the handmaid is nothing more than a human incubator and that's all she is that's that's really i would i mean would you agree david that's probably her sole purpose is to be a human incubator and that's it let's now take her and move her on to the next family yes yeah, utilitarianism it's just utility, it absolutely like you yeah. is utilitarianism at its finest in addition to that as you mentioned when you think about the functional view of a human person and really kind of deconstructing that individual where their whole value is about their performance and what they ultimately can do. We also see that in that they're treated as property. In fact, in this episode, you actually see one of the handmaids who now is, is, is free. She's now on the other side there in Canada, which is where they find that freedom. She is actually visited by one of the gentlemen who's actually trying to help them. And she is now supposed to meet with the commander, the commander's wife and she says, you do know that I was property, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, yes, I do. She's like, no, like registered and everything, just like my Nissan Ultima. And I thought that was really profound because ultimately they are relegated as property. They're not really called June. They're called of they're called of Fred or of Joseph, literally, as you were describing. But that's because they're actually seen as property belonging to that person. That's why they're so devalued and dehumanized. There's a lot of dehumanization, even in the names they choose to be of someone because you are something to them. And so that said, I did want to kind of get that in and talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So now let's kind of talk about the abortion scene. Now, there's two clinics that you will see in contrast. You will see the first one being a crisis pregnancy clinic. And it is just that, it's a women's clinic, but it is an actual clinic, which they're trying to say that it actually isn't a clinic. But I do think that's really interesting is how they try and spin this. But I do wanna talk about the very, that, that scene of it in and of itself. You see Janine going in and, or did you say something? Oh, not in the same thing. Yeah. So you see Janine entering this. Well, you don't see her entering. You see her actually in the car. Uh, she has to take off work for this clinic 
or to take for this doctor's appointment. She has to take off work. So you see her in the car uh, trying to get this time off and saying it's never going to happen again. Then you see her now. And this is what I actually like that they're actually showing behind her. It looks like it's a white board and you see the words, how big is my baby? And you see images. Okay. Yeah. You see images like two weeks at four weeks, etc. And so actually for a good, probably minute of this, this episode, you actually see her behind this or standing in front of this whiteboard with those words, how big is a baby? Now, I think that's critically important because ultimately what we're talking about, the reason people object to abortion is not the reason that somebody wants to have an abortion. You see, the rightness or wrongness of abortion has nothing to do with the reason you want to have that abortion. The rightness or wrongness of abortion has everything to do with what abortion does to whatever is inside of her womb. It's the baby. What is the unborn is the question that is critical that we must always ask. And so when you when it has those words back there, how big is a baby? That is a very true question. It's a relevant question to that conversation. But even more important is what is a baby? You see, the science of embryology is very clear that from the very earliest stages of our development, you talked earlier about your daughter, you know, recommending that that Korean show to you. But when we think about that, when your when your um, ex-wife was pregnant, when her mother was pregnant with your daughters, they were alive. They were living, distinct, whole human beings the entire time. That is the science of embryology. And so I love that that question is back there because it's a very relevant question. It's a very real question. Mm -hmm. So she is standing there and then she asks, you know, when is, is, is the doctor coming out soon? And so you see this, this young lady who is kind of giving her, it's not really necessarily counsel, she's trying to counsel her. So she's asking her some questions. Yeah. Now, one thing, again, the writers of this show, there's an article that that, as I was mentioning earlier, Margaret Atwood is actually interviewed and she's basically trying to portray intentionally. Her goal is to portray crisis pregnancy clinics. And these are real clinics in each state. She's trying to portray them as deceptive to women who are in an abortion. Yeah, and in fact, and, and you'll see that later on, but the young lady is asking her questions like, and the first thing she does is she actually gives her a brochure that says um, a woman's right to know. So, and a woman does have the right to know what actually is going to happen if she does have an abortion. And so the young lady says there's some really good information and she gives her that brochure. Then she proceeds to ask her, so Janine, are you considering abortion as your first option? And Janine says, yes. That's why I made the appointment. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so the young lady's asking her, well, why is that? You know, and then Janine says, well, it wasn't exactly planned. It wasn't exactly planned is her response. So the young lady then says, well, does the father know? And Janine says, no, I haven't told anyone. And then the young lady asks, you know, is this your boyfriend? And I don't know if we're going to be able to put that clip in here where they can see it, but essentially Janine says sometimes, and then the young lady's encouraging her. Well, you know, I really don't want you to have to have an abortion if you don't need to, yeah. you know, if you don't need to, if you don't want to. And then she says, well, that's why I'm here. And then that's when the young lady explains, well, we don't actually do abortions here. Right. And of course, Janine is upset that they don't do abortions there. Now, again, the writer 
of this is trying to portray pregnancy clinics that are life affirming clinics. They used to be called crisis pregnancy clinics. Now, and in fact, I used to work for one first care women's clinics down in South Florida in West Palm Beach, Florida. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal life affirming clinic and they are a, an accredited clinic. They're they're legal. And in fact, they are HIPAA compliant. And that's also important for people to recognize these are these are actual valid clinics. In fact, First Care Women's Clinic, as an example, they do STI or STD testing, as well as give ultrasounds. Well, that means if they weren't able to perform ultrasounds, and if they were not doing STD testing, they would not be HIPAA compliant clinics that are registered in the state of Florida or across the United States, you know, with all these other clinics. So I believe that the writers are intentionally trying to mislead people into thinking that these are just a bunch of volunteers and it's not even a clinic. Now we did not see her get a pregnancy test. We did not see her them do an ultrasound on her. So none of that is there. They're intentionally leaving those things out to try right. and make it seem as if her only purpose is trying to mislead um, the young lady, Janine, from having an abortion. So then we go from there, and now we see her later on at the abortion clinic, most likely a Planned Parenthood. Now, before I go into that aspect, I do want to remind our audience who is watching that this is a very important issue because we know that since 1973, Roe v. Wade approximately 60 million babies have been killed through the homicide of abortion. It is state-sanctioned homicide, the intentional killing of an innocent human being because they stand in the way. And so I, I did really kind of want to point that out because a lot of times people don't realize the numbers that we're actually dealing with. Yeah. So now she's at the abortion clinic. And the very first question, and I do want to kind of paint the backdrop for this real quick. The scene right before her at the abortion clinic is Janine with her son, Caleb, who we hear about in season one, I believe it is. We hear maybe it's even in, in season two or three. We hear a little bit about Caleb. But of course, when you're separated from your children in Gilead, she has no idea where Caleb right. is. Right. So now... We see that is the scene where she's with little Caleb and he's a little baby and she's rocking him to sleep and she's singing this song that every every little thing is going to be all right. Then the next scene is her at the abortion clinic and the abortion doctor says, oh, it's, it's nice to meet you. You know, how are you doing? And that's when Janine starts saying um, that she's like, listen, I know that. I know that I could probably keep this baby. And, and in fact, the, the doctor asks her, did the nurse get a chance to go over all of your options with you? And that's when Janine says, well, um, yeah. And she's like, but look, you know, I know I could probably keep the kid. She's like, I mean, I know it's just that I already have a child and, um, you know, I already have a son. It's just me. And, you know, she's trying to basically make excuses or justification as to why she wants to have the abortion. She's like, I do have a job, but it's barely enough for the both of us. Yeah. And I was thinking about enrolling, you know, I guess into a community college and school next semester because he's finally old enough. And that's when 
the doctor stops her. She says, hang on, do you wanna be pregnant right now? And of course, Janine says, no. And so then the doctor says, are you comfortable with your choice? And are you making this decision yourself? And Janine says, yes. And that's when the doctor says, well, then the rest is none of my business. Right. <laughs> now, this is really important because Janine is acknowledges that she can keep the child. She's fully capable of it. She just doesn't want to. She does not want to be inconvenienced. And yes, she might be struggling financially, but just because you're struggling financially right now does not mean that nine months from now, your situation cannot improve. No one is promised an easy life. But the reality is that she would never kill Caleb because she cannot make ends meet. Because she can't balance her checkbook, so to speak, at the end of the month, she would never consider killing Caleb, who is probably around two years old. Yeah. And so that's something really important for us to consider to the audience that's watching. If you have ever tried to justify an abortion, you would never say, well, hmm, would we ever kill a two-year-old for the very reason that I'm suggesting killing this unborn child? Yeah. If your answer is no, then, then, then guess what you've just done? You've dehumanized and you've devalued the unborn child in an effort to justify killing them. That's why at the Life Training Institute, one of the things we do is we call that trot out a toddler. And if we would, and you ask that question, would I ever kill a toddler or any other born human being for the reasons that I'm trying to use to kill that unborn child? And if the answer is no, then what have you just done? You've dehumanized your unborn child in an effort to kill them. Yeah. But we know that if the unborn is a human being, which science affirms that, then we can't kill the unborn in the name of money any more than we would a newborn baby or even a two-year-old. Now, so then after that, we see the doctor saying, I'm required by law to tell you that an abortion procedure, and this is where she says, can lead to an increased risk of breast cancer. And then she goes on to say infertility and depression. But then she says, But wait, but, but wait for this. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And wait for it. And not by law. Okay. And not by law. I'm also going to say that's a bunch of crap. Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, really, lady, seriously, you're so dramatic. Like, she's yeah. such an actress here. But the reason that she's trying to say that, again, we have to be thinking, what's the world's view? What are they actually trying to say here? They're actually trying to push the narrative that it is somehow completely normal, natural, and healthy, and beneficial to our society to intentionally kill your unborn child. Never mind even what some of the science is out there that does support that it because of the the abruptness in the hormone levels in your body from having that abortion that it can actually increase your chances of breast cancer. Never mind some of the data that does show that post-abortive women may suffer from depression. Never mind that. You know, and that of course an incomplete abortion, which is what was referenced in that first clinic can perhaps lead to infertility. It can increase your chances or your risk of infertility. Now, one other thing that I, I did forget to mention earlier, when at that first clinic, the young lady says to her, abortion is dangerous. That is a very true statement. She actually says abortion is dangerous. Yeah. 
And I'm thinking, now, why would Margaret Atwood have a problem with that? The reason that they have a problem with saying abortion is dangerous is because the reality is, apart from what abortion can do to that woman's body, abortion isn't wrong because it can lead to possibly infertility or even depression. The reason that abortion is wrong is because it kills an innocent human being. That young lady at the first clinic says that they go in with a tube and they you know, basically vacuum out that baby and it's drawn out limb from limb. And that if you leave in a toes or a finger, that it can cause what's called an incomplete abortion. That is very accurate. There's a reason why. Now they don't talk about that, but there's a reason why. And Abby Johnson from Planned Parenthood, formerly of Planned Parenthood, would tell you they do have to reassemble that baby's body back together because if they do leave something in, common sense tells you if you leave a body part inside and now it starts decomposing, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get sick or possibly have an infection. Yep. Yep. So that is a true statement that it can lead to infertility. It can lead to infection or, or other things. Now... Again, we see at this other clinic, this most likely a Planned Parenthood, that they're trying to show and they're trying to dismiss that. But that's not the only thing that they're trying to dismiss. They're trying to dismiss the fact that she's trying to kill her child. That is what she's there for. She is there to kill her unborn child. So this is when Janine says, yeah, well, the other clinic made it sound like, you know, something really horrible would happen. And I'm thinking uh, something really horrible is about to happen. You're about to kill your right. child. Right. It, period, end of sentence. You're about to kill your child. I'm sorry if that isn't sad, if that isn't disturbing, if that isn't horrible, and I don't know what horrible is. Yeah. You're about to kill your child. So then, you know, this, this doctor says, did you search abortion clinics online and, and somehow end up there? And she says, yes. And this is when she says, they're called crisis pregnancy centers. And that's when then she goes on to say that in essence, they lie to women. And yeah. that's what I really had a problem with is she's like, they lie to women to convince them to keep their unwanted pregnancies. Now, okay. it's interesting that she said that she, they lie to women to keep their unwanted pregnancies. She doesn't even want to humanize what's happening or what's inside of that young lady. Instead mm -hmm. of saying to keep your baby, She's saying they lie to you to keep the pregnancy. Well, ultimately, what is a pregnancy? The pregnancy is not about the pregnancy itself. It's about what constitutes a pregnancy. There is a human being inside of that woman. But yeah. again, that's the worldview ideology. Let's kind of deconstruct everything and make it seem like it's not even a human being that we're talking about. We're only talking about a thing such as a pregnancy. That's why they want you to say, oh, I'm just terminating a pregnancy. No, mm -hmm. abortion doesn't terminate a pregnancy. It exterminates a human being's life. Yeah. Yeah. And so then the very next thing we see is that she says, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Oh, my gosh. I love you. Right. That's how she's talking. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. So then she says, you take one of these now and then for tomorrow morning. So that is a chemical abortion that she is going through. Mm -hmm. And so that's what she's going to, to go through now. All she says is, that's all she says, audience, listen to me. That's all she's saying is, you take one now, and then tomorrow morning, you take four more. Then look at what she says is going to happen. You'll have some cramping and bleeding, maybe some fatigue and nausea. Okay, that, that's all she's saying. But if your symptoms last more than two days, then I want you to call me. Then Janine says, that's it? Yeah. And then 
the doctor says, you already did the hard part. part. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow. Yeah. If we really want to talk about lying to someone, it is a lie to somehow tell these women that all you have to take is just take four of these and call me in the morning and you'll be fine. That's it. No, the reality is she is now going to take those pills and is now going to have severe cramping and a lot of bleeding. And you're going to expel your child in the toilet like they are waste, like they are nothing but excrement. That is a horrible death. And that is a horrible tomb for your child, the sewer. If we're being honest, I'm sorry, human beings don't belong in the sewer and that's going to be that baby's final resting place. Yeah, That should be problematic for every single one of us. And I believe women deserve better than abortion. They deserve better than chemical abortions and our offspring, our children, our posterity certainly deserve better than being expelled into a toilet like human waste. No human being is waste. No human being is disposable or dispensable. And so that's why I think this is very critical that they're they're literally not only dehumanizing the unborn, but they're also trying to depict it as that it's no big deal. It literally is just taking a couple pills and that's it. You're just going to have a couple, just some, just some cramps, just a little bit of bleeding. That is a lie. That's a misconception. And I promise you if people like, um, Abby, Abby Johnson or anyone else who's formerly worked at a, a Planned Parenthood or an abortion clinic would definitely tell you that a chemical abortion is very messy. In fact, there's a scene in the movie Unplanned where Abby Johnson, I believe, actually did have a chemical abortion. Yeah. And I believe that she would testify, oh, it is not the way that they try to make it seem here. There is no unwanted or unplanned human being in God's eyes. It might have been unplanned with man, but it was definitely planned with God. Yeah. He he knew what was going to happen, and he has a plan for that child's life. Just like he has a plan for Caleb, which is her first child, he also has a plan for the baby that's there in Gilead, and he also has a baby. I mean, he has a plan for this child as well. But we, unfortunately... Um, you know, unfortunately she circumvented that. And then that's part of the problem is when we think we can play God, when we think that we know what's best for that human being and that we ultimately declare death is the best thing that we can offer humanity. I'm sorry. Since when is homicide the best thing? And especially in this context, she's trying to say, and that's what she told the doctor. I mean, I know that I could, but, you yeah, know, things yeah. are already tight financially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hardship. But she, she admits that she knows that she, she could. And here she is. She's living in this dystopian society. Well, before the Civil War, they know that the birth rate is falling. That they, they, I mean, here she is. She's given a gift to help humanity propagate and continue and yet she rejects that gift and that opportunity. I mean, not many women right now in our society is able to get pregnant. Yeah, here she is. And her choice is still to end that life. I thought yes. I, was, I was shocked by that. Yes, because, I again, I think that they're trying to appeal to people's conscience and their heart by saying, because most people will say, but what if someone really can't afford it, David? I mean, who are you to say that she has to keep this child when she can't afford it. 
Right, right. You know, she doesn't have a duty. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. severe hardship. But the reality is, since when does hardship justify homicide? It doesn't. Yeah. Hardship does not justify homicide. We would, she would have never, like I said earlier, she would never think about killing Caleb because of hardship. The mm -hmm. only way that she can justify killing the unborn child is by dehumanizing it. And so, and assuming that it isn't really a valuable human being. Wow! Thanks so much, Janique, for that. Uh, man, that was so insightful with your with our, uh, your um, your take on episode four, season four, uh, season four, episode four of right. the Handmaid's Tale. So I think we might have to, because we have been talking about reviewing this, and so we may have to come back and revisit this uh, maybe a couple more times this season, maybe do a wrap-up finale. So, yeah, if you guys would like us to continue this, because uh, we, we oftentimes talk about the good doctor, but um, it, there's always some stuff there. But if you'd like us to come back and talk some more about Handmaid's Tale, yeah, please let us know. Maybe it's, um, yeah, we'll be excited to do that for you. Yes, and also, if you all have any other shows that you would like for us to review, or you have any specific questions, please comment, please like and subscribe and share this with other people. But we truly appreciate you watching. And I know a lot of you have already made comments or you have suggested some things. And so we really do appreciate that. So thank you so much for watching and we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Oh, hey, Janique, I meant to um, ask you about, um, did you ever hear, did you ever hear the joke about uh, what is it? You ever heard the joke about paper? You never heard the joke about paper? You never heard the one about paper? No. Oh, don't worry. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it though. It's a really clean one. That's like my nephew. My nephew yeah. would love that. I've got to tell him that. <laughs> you got to remember that. Yes, I do. I have one nephew. I have all these girls. I have all these nieces and I have one nephew and he kind of likes jokes. And so that will be great. I have to tell him that. <laughs>